Welcome to GeoThoughts Talks. I'm Drew Bush. In GeoThoughts Talks, we bring you lectures from our team, partners, and collaborators on topics important to the GeoThink audience. GeoThink Summer Institute may have just concluded, but for those of you who missed it, we bring you four talks to remember. Our seventh talk features Renee Sieber discussing the different ways in which open data can be evaluated. She details many of the common quantitative metrics used, counting applications generated at a hackathon, the number of citizens engaged, or the economic output from a particular data set, before discussing some qualitative indicators of the importance of a specific open data set. Some methods can likely capture certain aspects of open data better than others. She then poses a series of questions on how one can actually attach a value to the increased democracy or accountability gained by using open data. Evaluate is by looking at, well, hmm, I don't know uh, how many apps actually came out of this, but I'll just count the number of events that we had, or I will count the number of people we had at the events, or I will count the, uh, by some kind of socioeconomic variable, uh, I will see how diverse the uh, people are at the hackathons. Uh, likewise, you could attempt, and this is hard to uh, assess the number of apps that were created as a result of the uh, hackathon or and this is you see this often at a federal government level the uh, try to do some assessment of economic development in terms of, for example, the number of jobs. So you could do, for those of you uh, in urban planning, a shift share analysis where you would say, hey, my city has more data sets or more site visits or more downloads. Uh, I have a more robust portal, so therefore I'm comparing the number of uh, app-related, these kinds of entrepreneurial type jobs in my city and I would associate that with my uh, open data activities. Um, Peter talked about how notoriously difficult it is to calculate the amount of money saved, particularly when your uh, open data presumably gives you uh, new opportunities for service provision that you didn't have before. So how do you put a value on brand new services? Um, or a, Teresa mentioned uh, issues of licenses. Well, presumably you could put some valuation on the number of restrictive licenses removed for the private sector. Uh, so you're trying to assess a count in terms of monetary valuation against um, as a way to value open data. So it's this, uh, you're starting to move a little bit more to the qualitative. Uh, indicators and surveys are getting a little bit more qualitative, uh, but then you get to the, there's a huge leap to where you start to think about how do you quantify the improvement of citizen participation? How do you quantify um, the increased democracy or the increased accountability that you might have? Uh, so you could certainly assign a metric to it, but how do you actually attach a value to that metric? 
So I basically have a series of questions around open data valuation. Uh, I don't have a lot of answers at this point, but they're sorts of questions I'd like you to, um, to consider. Um, the, the, the reason that I put up the reasons for the valuations, uh, for opening up the data, is because those reasons can drive its valuations. As so Peter's teaching to the test. Uh, if your reason for uh, opening up the data is economic development, for example, then the odds are you're going to shed other kinds of valuations and you're going to focus on um, just the sheer dollar amounts. So it's important that you don't disconnect the raison d'etre for the opening to the way it's valued. And you can indeed question whether the reasons for opening, I just came from the Canadian Open Data Summit, uh, was it last week, I think, um, in New Brunswick, and um, it is amazing how, A, uncritical they are about open by default and opening up data, and second, how driven they are by the economic valuation and how that economic valuation is also driving the data sets that they release. So for example, they're very focused on land use and land cover because they think opening up data. And uh, it was quite interesting to me that one of the first data sets they were opening up was LIDAR and photogrammetry of forests, which you rarely hear in other areas. It's, it's much more like um, the parks and the road infrastructure and so on. Uh, and it is because they're driven by economic valuation in that and like the forestry sector. Um, so they're going to create opportunities for those uh, extractive sectors. So second of all, and I'm hoping you will ponder this as a part of your breakout groups, is um, your city councilors have told you that you're going to, um, we're going to open up the data because we want to be a more transparent city, that we want to be a more democratic city. How are you actually going to do that? Uh, are you going to count the number of people in this room? Are you going to count the number of times they uh, open up a CSV file? I mean, how are you, how are you going to do that? Because it's, it's very easy for us, as, especially as academics, to extol these virtues. And it's quite easy also, unfortunately or fortunately, for elected officials to extol, the, extol these larger virtues. Putting them into practice when you're a city employee or a government employee is another thing entirely. How do you value accountability if it puts your boss in jail for corruption? So one of the interesting things that's happening around issues of accountability is that uh, like the word value, the word accountability is fungible. So uh, I see government saying, yes, we're accountable by putting out data sets. Uh, so they, what they do is the, the word transparent and accountability overlap entirely without looking at uh, what happens. One value of open data might be 
if you if citizen X actually discovers corruption, then government employee or elected official Y uh, has some kind of repercussion. <clears throat> uh, so uh, it was interesting that in the to hear some. Uh, people who are part of the open government partnerships, some countries as part of the open government partnerships get a little bit more reticent. I'm thinking like former Eastern Bloc countries get a little bit more reticent about opening up certain data once they heard that other country, that the citizens in other countries had actually used that data um, to um, hold, actually hold uh, government officials accountable. <clears throat> and uh, a last and a more abstract challenge for us uh, in this quantification versus qualification is um, we live in an era in Web 2.0 of likes and upvotes, and it's very easy for us to view the city and view our interactions with the city, as even uh, whether it's via crowdsourcing or whether it's via um, open data, as uh, what are you giving me and what am I giving you? Uh, it's a very unitized way of thinking about the city. Uh, when we value open data, we likewise fall into this very unitized notion of I'm going to just value, uh, you know, uh, okay, so it took the fire truck. Uh, five seconds less time to get to me than it would otherwise. So you increasingly quantify your interactions with the city as you look for quantified measures of valuation of open data. So um, by looking for these metrics, we're actually a part of this kind of thinking that all we should we should be individuals interacting with the state as opposed to collectives interacting with the state. And I don't know an easy way around that when we're trying to think about these larger concepts like democracy and transparency and accountability. And uh, this is my um, last slide, uh, which nicely uh, intersects with Pamela's. Uh, increasingly, it's not merely a matter of valuing individual data sets, but it's evaluating entire programs. So we're in an era in which governments say uh, we're going to be open by default, so absolutely all data is going to be open. And uh, Pamela mentioned it, and Keith McDonald mentioned this yesterday. He's worried that uh, it sounds like a great idea, and so to the champions in open government uh, uh, and so who support open by default, um, they're all they're gung ho about opening data sets. Uh, but uh, the frontline workers may be, oh my God, I already work 45, 50 hours a week, and now you're telling me I also have to open data up. Uh, it's what's the value if uh, it's felt internally as an obligation to do or a novelty and is not baked into a larger goal of, for example, citizen engagement. Uh, one of the 
additional challenges of open by default is what happens if open by default is its own reward as opposed to things like, um, yeah, you've published it, you've thrown the data over the wall, but nobody can use it. It only caters to experts, and you don't also embed social learning. You don't also embed um, citizen engagement. You, you don't actually try to teach people how to use it. Hey, why should I have to do that anymore? I opened the data for you. People seem to be using it. What's the problem? And what happens to open by default or any openness when it fails to deliver on its valuations? Um, uh, Peter and I made the point in our article that openness forever is not a given. It's not like you've toggled it on and uh, governments will be transparent forever. Governments are notorious uh, in areas of, for example, national security issues. It's like, oh my god, there's a crisis. Uh, we need to pull back a lot of this data. So. Um, it may, it's not necessarily a permanent condition, especially, and we've seen this in a couple of cities around the world now, uh, where uh, governments set metrics for valuation, the data sets failed to, live, to deliver on those metrics, and government said, well, why are we spending money on this? Uh, so let's pull back certain data sets because uh, there weren't the number of data uh, downloads that, was that were originally promised. So that's it for me and we'll open it up for questions. GeoThoughts are brought to you by geothink.ca and generous funding from Canada's Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council.